Hello, I'm Prentice Hancock and I was in Spearhead from Space. Welcome to Doctor Who on Target. Welcome to Doctor Who on Target. The podcast where we discuss the classic range of Doctor Who novelizations from the 1970s and 1980s. If you missed Doctor Who in those days, you missed it forever. Unless, of course, you bought the Target novelization. So, jump aboard the TARDIS, set the time road of a late 20th century Earth, and, with a wheezing groaning sound, we discuss, analyze, and reminisce Doctor Who. On target. Hello, this is Abbott in Exeter, and this time we are discussing the Spearhead from Space which was done by Robert Holmes, and The Autumn Invasion by Terence Six. And to give you a taster, here's the, a clip of the audiobook we're also discussing this week. Sam Seeley moved through Oxley Woods like a rather tubby ghost. Sam was the most expert poacher for miles around, and proud of it. Many a time he'd slip by within inches of a watching gamekeeper. Soundlessly, he moved through the woods, stopping from time to time to check his rabbit traps. He mopped the sweat from his brow as he moved along. No business to be as hot as this, not in October. Worse than a midsummer night, it was. Seely blamed it on those atom bombs. Suddenly, a fierce whizzing and hissing filled the air around him. Terrified, Seely dropped to the ground, muffling his head in his poacher's sack. The terrifying noise continued. He heard soft, thumping sounds, as if heavy objects were burying themselves in the forest earth around him. At last, there came silence. Sam looked up cautiously. Within a few feet of his head, the ground was smoking gently. Hello from Mike in Swansea. And this is Greg in Swansea too. Do you want to go first this week, Greg, to give us your general overview on the book and the novelization and the uh, TV version? And there was, it's the first class, the only classic story to be filmed completely on film, so it was actually released on Blu-ray for the 50th anniversary two years ago. Do you want to give us your... My first thoughts are um, that it's an iconic classic and, frankly, it's a fabulous story. Absolutely love it. Greg, I think it's brilliant. It's beautifully shot, the TV version, and Blu-ray reconstruction they brought out recently is stunning on some parts of all the outside locations. It's um, a well-put-together plot. It brings in nicely the new Doctor, the third, re- third regeneration of him. brings the whole unit thing to life really well, I thought. Yeah, my general thoughts are really superbly written. A great sort of contrast between this epic idea of an uh, invasion that you get towards the end of the book... And the human interaction, the human stories, all the characters seem to get their moment, don't they? Yeah, most, most definitely. The, the characters are sort of all got their own place, and it works really well, I think. 
sort of, what do you make of uh, the beginning? You know, the, we've got a new Doctor, of course, in this story. I think that works really well, the way it's done, you know, sort of how he's not completely there, and, you know, having to put his clothes together from the hospital where he is, and sort of some people know who he is, but not everyone. I think that worked really well. Yeah, and that sort of cropped up again in Doctor Who, both in the McGann film where he wakes in a hospital and finds his clothes, and in uh, Matt Smith's first story as well. Oh, yeah, that definitely works well. I think, you know, sort of... Also, maybe a bit with um, Peter Capaldi, where he sort of... His regenerated bit as well. That was sort of semi there as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, was this the first time? I mean, I know Troughton's episode, Power of the Daleks, doesn't exist, so we can't get a proper overview of his performance, apart from the audio. But this is probably the first time we see Doctor having the sort of post-regeneration confusion, really, isn't it? What did you make of the opening, Greg? As I say, I think it's an absolute uh, classic, you know. I loved the opening. Um, in, in the TV series, I thought it was beautifully filmed. And also in uh, the the Target book. I, I love the fact that in the Target book as well, I don't know if you both noticed, he sort of uh, gives it a little prequel so we know what's happened with the previous Doctor, you know, with, yeah, with, the, with the Time Lords and uh, that they'd actually forced him to adopt uh, a body that he didn't want because yeah. he was so fussy. I, I love that prologue. And um, it really is... An action-packed book, isn't it? It's re- it's really the as I say, the opening is just thrilling. It took me straight back when I was listening to this. I thought this is one of the classic Target books because great story, great writing, and um, just just a thrill to read. Yeah, I think perfectly paced as well, really. From what I said at the beginning in my overview about the the characterization is very good. Lovely little moments between all the characters, you know. There's a bit of bureaucracy in the hospital in there when they're trying to sort out, trying to realise who the Doctor is and the fact he's changed. Yes. And then you yeah. get sort of uh, things like the Brigadier being all sort of pompous and uh, Liz Shaw being very um, sort of sarcastic towards him, doesn't she? And, yeah. and then you get that counterpoint pointed against the action in the, the factory. And I loved, I've got to say, the invasion at the end, the way Terence fleshed it out from the TV show. Oh. The show that there's been... This has been a mass invasion all over the country. This hasn't just been sort of, as we saw, iconically enough, though, we saw on the TV show with the windows of the shop smashing, didn't we? Yes, absolutely. I, I wanted to talk some more about that. In a moment. What, what did you think of that um, part of it, Alex? Oh, I really like I think the invasion at the end is fantastic. It's well-paced. It's sort of got a good feeling of, you know, sort of incoming menace and then sort of gets to the right point. And it's really good. I like the sort of frontal invasion how it builds with a sort of couple of chapters beforehand and then gets right into it yeah yeah i mean we jump jumping back and forth across the story a bit yeah, but um but yeah i mean as we talking about the end of it I, I, I'll, I'll put my tuppence worth in as well and say it's done so brilliantly and, and this is pure tear and sticks here i i think because obviously this this wasn't really in the the tv version they tried to do it but it's so but he fleshes, fleshes it out so much. I love the part where he talks about um, the autumn. There's martial law. The autons are infiltrating the government, the army, etc. Confusion. The TV screens go out. ITV and the BBC are um, warning everyone, don't leave your homes. It's absolutely brilliant. I think it even outdoes Rose. Uh, you know, I think escape. it does, which obviously borrows heavily from this story. Um, it sort of takes you back 
to a nostalgic time, doesn't it? When you hear about BBC and ITV, you think, yes, that would be brilliant. Back yeah. in the day, they'd take them off air, where, whereas nowadays it would be 24-hour news coverage on the oversaturation of news coverage on the on the 24-hour channels. Yes, yeah, I, I think so. What do you make of that, Alex? It's sort of how it's sort of not all over today like it is now. Yes, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. The way Terence has really fleshed out the ending, and he, he also speaks about... Um, a group of factory workers fought back, didn't they? And they blew up some autons, and that's, that's yeah, really well written. So that's great, isn't it? And of course, he I think he says tanks roamed the streets, soldiers couldn't wait for orders and formed their own groups as well. Yeah, it? it was uh, it really is. I, I've got here. I got to get this in. Terry Nation, watch and learn. Yes, I think so. Because uh, <laughs> don't repeat that same story again. No. <laughs> so, anything more to add on that, Al? About the uh, way the invasion's written. Really well written, I agree. It sort of makes you feel like coming out of survivors, so it has that feel of impact and sort of dystopian sort of things happening, I suppose. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting you say because this is pre-survivors, isn't it? But yeah. it's, he's doing it right at this time. Doctor Who was there again first. Like. Yeah, well, perhaps he's he's uh, hand borrowing again. <laughs> even when <laughs> Terence was in charge, even though he'd sold the same story to Terence a good few times. What what do you what do you think? Um, of course, you know it's it's an iconic story in many ways. This one, isn't it? I mean, we we've mentioned the fact that you know uh, we've mentioned the fact that it's the the John Pertwee debut. We've mentioned the fact that it's the brigadier as the brigadier rather than as colonel. Is that correct? Yeah, he was Colonel Lethbridge Stewart before, wasn't he? In Invasion he was, and the Web of Fear. Yeah, and I love the little section in there where Terence Sticks makes sure that we're aware of this. Uh, this where he mentions about um, the brigadier remembering back to when he was promoted to the brigadier from being a colonel. All about, all it was something to do with those those chaps in the underground, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, he yeah, goes back yeah. to Weatherfield, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Did you like that, Alex? I did. I, did. I think all the connections work really well. What What do you think of? Um, the you know the hospital scenes and when the doctor is because uh, you mentioned it earlier Mike this post regenerative uh, what do we call sort it of crisis really isn't crisis, it crisis yeah. yes yeah what what do you think about how we first see this I think as the series has gone on they've extended it more you know to make more of it in episodes in the new series you had the the whole the Christmas special where David Tennant was asleep and he just needed a drop of tea to complete his process didn't he yes yeah and, you know that. Things with Matt Smith being very confused and the fish custard, but whereas you go back to this story and it's the way it's written in the book and it's portrayed on TV by Pertwee, it's just very sort of, uh, you know, Pertwee sort of looking in the mirror with the eyebrows and Terence yeah. sort of describes that very well, doesn't he? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and he, I think one of the first things he says is he wants his shoes, doesn't he? And, yeah, shoes, and he, shoes. And he just doesn't put them on, he just puts them on his chest and goes back to bed. <laughs> well, I, you know, well they, made, they made a point of that with Paul McGann because that's the first thing he sort of connects with mm. good, good 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 point, point Alex yeah it is isn't it that's actually one of the most beautiful moments in the whole of that television film I think I think so which yeah. we'll be talking about again soon in this very special episode so tune in um, in a couple of weeks I hope for yeah, that a couple of weeks well. for that one hopefully yeah some lovely connections here what, what, what we, I seem to be picking up is that Alex you're pointing out um, things which have been repeated down the years Mike you're pointing out things which have been repeated down the years in Doctor Who so so really, all these things which seem to be invented in this story 
they must have been so good that they they stuck, haven't they? they yeah, this is like them. a template, isn't it? Really, oh, a template for a regeneration story, I'd say. Good term, good term. Yeah, I think it is a template. And uh, like you say, I I love the discovery of uh, he has two hearts. What sort of a joker is this? <laughs> students and uh, you know. yeah, you have the Scottish surgeon, don't you? And Caroline yeah. John will say in the audio. Caroline John reads it superbly, and she's she gets so into the different accents. I, I was going to say, um, with with the audio version from uh, the BBC, uh, Caroline John, who narrates it, does an absolutely great job. I was re—I wasn't expecting her to do such a good job. I was really pleased. She really know. brings you into the story, doesn't it? Oh, she, she's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Did you find that, Alex? Yeah, I did. It's, it's, I think she got John Pertwee's voice spot on. Yes. yes, yeah, she did, and she gets the real feel of the characters because even though she does quite, quite, a, quite a posh brigadier, yeah. she gets the feel of him, doesn't she? Definitely. She knows. She knows it. I think. I think it was a really good idea for them to get somebody who was working on this story, doing it, knowing the script inside out, knowing the feel of the story, because um, she does a really, really good job. I'm really impressed. Yeah, her. can I just go? Stay staying online with her character to talk about the characters. Um, I really was impressed with this book because we finally had a female who was completely strong. I mean, yes. we've had say I think we've only done Sarah Jane in this. Yes. Yeah. And it seems yeah. it seems to me she is so well written. She's a in a figure of authority, being a scientist. Yeah. She's very cynical, but she's very confident in that. Yeah. Cynicism. Yes, yeah, she is. And almost towards the end, I'm a little disappointed that she turns out she turns out having to be the assistant again. You know, you get halfway through and um, she's having the conversation with the brigadier and the brigadier says, oh, you weren't actually the first choice for this um, scientific advisor's post. You know, and it's, oh. it's set up to be the doctor, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And does Pertwee just refer to her as an assistant at the end? And that's kind of... That's... That sort of brings her back down again. That disappointed me slightly. I mean, there's, I suppose there's, there's no other way to do it in Doctor Who unless you have the whole assistant or companion debate. That's, do you know, but, you know, but she's such a strong character. I felt, I felt there was a bit of disappointment at the end because she I, definitely I, deserved I the equal status. Say the game, Alex. Sorry. No, I, I think he's great, and I think he's like one of the first strong people. But as we all know, the audience couldn't cope with that, really, could they? Why they brought Joe Grant in? Reasons in the suggestion: Caroline John got pregnant, and the producers didn't want a pregnant co-star, and all sorts of rumours. And uh, yeah, but as you say, Joe Grant sort of. At first, returned to the sort of damsel in distress, didn't she? Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I mean, I found it, you know, Liz Shaw, the character of Liz Shaw, comes across really strongly in this story. And I was really impressed with you with that. And I thought, I really liked the way, and Terence brought this out in his writing as well. Liz Shaw is a really strong character. But I think because the audience didn't like her, that's why they replaced yeah. her that's yeah. yeah that's quite interesting I, I i my understanding was i'm sure i read a story that caroline john was chosen to play liz shaw because they developed the character of liz shaw they wanted somebody much more in line with a modern woman to be uh intelligent and so forth but i, I understand it was when john pertwee was cast he didn't like that he wanted a sort of woman to protect that's what right, I Right, yeah, I he sort heard. of had the old-fashioned yeah. view, didn't he? Yeah. That's a bit chauvinistic. That, yeah, I don't know if that's right. I just, yeah, I just it's quite remember. possible, isn't it? You know, I don't know. But I do remember, but I will say, I think it was a great idea for Liz Shaw because 
She is, um, you know, she's modern. She's really intelligent. She's a great role model. She would be and, great now. She would fit in any, oh, any era now, wouldn't she? Absolutely. She was very much ahead of the, ahead of the times. And I do feel that I like the way Terence sticks as well in the writing. He talks about um, science being put first and how important science is. And I love the way they actually show the problems and issues being solved by science mm. there's not so much because it made me feel a little bit in modern doctor who you get a little bit of hokum a little bit of magical nonsensey stuff and you know i don't like that i i like the fact that um they were even though it's hokum in a way to what they were doing you know and yeah. putting things together with microphones and and <laughs> coat hangers but the fact is yeah but the fact is they were showing it's science which works things out, is it yes. not hokum? Do you, do you? Why he wasn't that? You know, people didn't like because he got too scientific. Yes, I think so. I mean, um, I wanted to mention. I just mentioned to Greg the other day. I wanted to speak about the brigadier and how he sort of, even within this era, within this era of like four or five years of Pitt, we where he regularly appeared. His opinion of science sort of seems to go up and down, doesn't it? You know, um, yes. I think if you look at the new series, we have Kate Stewart, his daughter. And she actually says to Peter Capaldi's doctor at some point, my father used to say science leads doctor. Yes. I mean, you know, perhaps he did by, you know, by the end of his life. But um, it just seems to be a very up and down in this period. And obviously he's, he's, he is written as the military man against the doctor's sort of more thoughtful nature, isn't he? Yes. Well, yeah. Figuring out a problem instead of going in five rounds rapid guns blazing. Yes. Yeah. So well, what did you think of that, Greg and Al? Um, I, I agree. I think he's not that great to begin with but by sort of end of the third way period he's sort of with the doctor I think and there's that lovely exchange with Liz isn't it you know um, you just sort of mentioned this alien invasion she's almost like a naughty schoolgirl saying little green men <laughs> yeah yes yes I see Brigadier you know she's she's equal in terms of that humour isn't she she is she is indeed yeah I, I um, yeah I, I think it's a it's a great story and the Autons what did you think of those as, as, a, as a monster uh, Mike really quite chilling yeah. you know the whole Madame Tussauds in this uh, in this story yeah you know they come to life it's just one of those things that Doctor Who does very well taking something from the everyday mundane yeah and putting that sort of Monster factor behind it, and I wonder, do you, did you like that, Alex, as well? Uh, yeah, I really thought they're quite chilling as well. The, the sort of things you see every day, and it's, when they come to life, it's very scary. It is, isn't it? That 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 chapter ten scene where I think Terence says, "No matter how colourfully dressed and friendly they look, yeah, when when those." wrist dropped and the glass smashed they come you know it was quite scary i thought i really liked that and i'm just wondering do we who do we have to thank for this is it robert holmes because isn't it robert holmes who he's the master of doctor who isn't he, he yeah he's the one who i i think it is robert holmes yeah we know who, is it it's is robert and... holmes is it yeah yeah it's just he he always does things like that doesn't he Ooh. he loves he loves that yeah. yeah, it just takes the sort of mundane. and yeah. But there is, a, I want to bring up a slightly humorous issue that um, there's, there's a scene, isn't there, when uh, Liz, sorry, it's Liz, isn't it, with this story, um, try and stay back at the waxworks, don't they? The caretaker lets them in. Yes. And you're just sort of wondering, mm. I, had no one cottoned on why all these sort of minor, minor military officials were getting waxworked? Yeah. Why, why were they being made into waxworks? Yeah. <laughs> Did no one think that was a bit fishy? I know there's a lot of mind control going on in these stories, but <laughs> yeah, interesting plot point. Did you did you think of that, Alex? Or? Yeah, it's a 
Why are all the lower people getting turned as well? Terence does have, um, is it Scobie saying that to himself? Mm. He was wondering why on earth they'd chosen him to be. <laughs> so So it, it is touched on. And can I say as well, I thought it was very clever. Again, I don't know if this is Robert Holmes or, yeah. or Terence Dix, but the fact they talked about um, when the end, because of these people have been infiltrated, they won't hand over the army to the brigadier. That's the right. And, um, of course, that's a fantastic way to sort of show that they don't have the budget for that. No, they? yeah. That's <laughs> like, the way around. I like yeah, that. that really works. Yeah, it does work, doesn't it, Alex? It's, uh, but I also thought as well, um, with that, I like the way, and this goes back to what you were saying as well, uh, Mike, you know, regarding um, Liz Shaw being a modern, strong woman, um, that straight away the doctor says, in this order, when the brigadier says, but I haven't got the men, he says... We've got Liz, and you've got me. Mm. And I thought, that's really good, isn't it? That's showing. You know, it's like, don't discount. straight away. Yeah, I really like that. I thought that was a good, uh, positive thing. Are there any sort of peripheral characters that stand out for you? I mean, I think think Sam Seeley's a very funny character, isn't he? I like Sam yeah, Seeley. Do you like the Sam stories Seeley? he comes out with, and is the fact his wife thinks yeah, he's, he's the wife good, thinks he's been he's drinking in the woods. Character. Yeah, yeah, he is, isn't he? He's really good, and it, you know, I don't know if um, they were quite memorable characters in in the actual TV version, but also I thought um, his wife came across really well. Ca- Caroline John, yeah, she does. Yeah, she does, doesn't she, Alex? Yeah. Do you do you think um, Liz Shaw? brought her to life more than is actually written in the page or or is that there do you think um, i just think she brings her out more in the thing than in the book yes yeah do you think so as well mike yeah i'd be interested if i just seen it on the written text yeah but i think she does yeah, yeah she gives it definitely gives her character she does there's quite quite I, and i thought it was quite emotional the way you know, she's being threatened by the auto and she's scrabbling for, for the bullets for the gun. Yeah, you know? that's quite scary and in the it, TV version as it well. Is, isn't it is, isn't it? Yeah, and she yeah. says, I'll blow a hole in you, she says, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, well, you a, blow a hole in you. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? I really, uh, really like that. Um, what do you think um, of the, the mystery that's set up regarding. Um, the type of scenario of the story, the way it opens. You don't know what's happening from the beginning, and then it sort of spreads out nicer. Yeah, it's a good way of sort of bringing Liz into the story, isn't it? You know, the the what the asteroids, whatever they've seen yeah, from Earth. Yeah, you know, and the yeah. fact the Doctor happens to be there that adds another layer. Yes. When the Brigadier finds out, there's, you know, yeah. initially. He gets a phone call, doesn't he, the brigadier, and he's very sort of flippant, you know. Yes. Why are you bothering me like this? And then yeah. someone says, oh, but there was a police box found, sir. And he's like, oh. And it says the brigadier yeah. was excited to hear this news or something, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I loved it. It was like mystery upon mystery, really, in this story. It was not yeah. Because you have, you know, you have the the mystery of the doctor. Is he the doctor? What's what's going on with in, in that TARDIS? Yes. You know, is that... And then we have uh, the mystery in the hospital of the, is this even a human? We have the mystery of the, the, the discovery of these, what they thought were meteorites, but they don't know what they ha- are. Yeah. Um, like I say, it's piled up, isn't it, that, all of that mystery? Yeah, and good cliffhangers in the TV version as well, isn't it? The first one with Pertwee in the wheelchair escaping. Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah, that's, that's great. That is brilliant. Yeah. So... We know that um, in the next one, the sequel to this, uh, Terror of the Autons, 
Robert Holmes just goes mad with that, doesn't he? He just goes mad. I mean, all the things that are happening in there. And introduces us to the master, of course. Oh, that's going to be a big tea when we review that. Um, But what about... Now, this is one thing again. We talked about how in the Target version... Um, it's been rather fleshed out. Not that the TV version isn't brilliant. It's, it really is brilliant. Um, great production values until we get to the Auton consciousness in the tank, the nesting consciousness. Now, oh, yeah. <laughs> now you say this, and on our recent we recently released. Sorry, it was so late. It was supposed to be last March, and then a Christmas special. Our special review of Rose for the tenth anniversary. You were actually saying, Greg, in that that. Um, you wanted a bit of a John Pertwee octopus at the end. I And this is the one, isn't it? This is the one where that idea was born. Yeah, yeah it's it's true, isn't it? Pertwee's face, his acting just adds so much to it, I think. You know, it can be quite a ridiculous idea, I suppose, but it is, isn't it? I think it's it, but it's it's great. I mean, it's great Doctor Who. I, I I love it. But that that octopusy thing, you know, with John we gurning away. But but we don't have that in the Target book. It's very much more dramatic and that with an intensity they say, and isn't it of uh, of feeling. Now, what what do you think, Alex? How did it come across in the audio version? I, I think it comes a lot across a lot better in the audio version than on the TV version. Yeah, it's more te- pace and it's more sort of bringing it up so it's quite scary. Yeah, so I think it's like Terence again, isn't it? Probably like, I know all the episodes don't exist, but his ad- adaptation of The Snowman, The Abominable Snowman, that was, um, yeah. had a very dramatic ending, didn't it? Yeah. And you get the impression that on if the episode survived on TV, it would just be sort of within a, well, they're sort of within a crypt, aren't they, or a... Yeah, a temple, aren't they? You know, probably yes. very low, dark yeah. sets and stuff, and you probably yes. wouldn't get that feel of it. Yeah, you know, I suppose the acting would add to it, but you know, yeah. he really thrives on this. He really thrives on the denouement of stories and fleshing them out, doesn't he? I, I think. think so. I think so. But yeah. Doesn't, as we've said about Terence before, but doesn't move away from fleshing out the characters and no. giving you the more character-led emotional moments yes. which you can relate to yeah absolutely yes I, I think so it's uh so uh, overall as a story alex um i mean where 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 would you put this is is it a classic is it iconic where would you put it i think it's a classic because of bringing in classic characters yeah and it's got iconic bits to it like when you first see the autumns and that so i think it covers both yeah yeah I mean, we, when we score this in a few minutes, we we'll see where we, where we are with it, with that. But it's um, looking good for me. <laughs> but, uh, I I'm just looking at here. We have the um, BBC Books have released the uh, re-released the original Target novelization of this yes. in a beautiful cover and exact facsimile of the original, except they've got a beautiful gold leaf. Doctor Who logo. Yes. And um was this one an Alistair Peterson or a Skeletor, Andrew Skeletor? Or? Um this one is this... cover illustration Chris Achilleos. Oh, it was Achilleos. Chris okay. Achilleos. It is Achilleos. Yeah. yeah, and it's a fabulous cover. And just to let our listeners know that um the Doctor Who on Target team are actually going to the the exhibition of original Target covers. Where where is that, Mike? That's at the Cartoon Museum in London. Details can be found online. Uh, we'll be there the second day, I think, which is Friday the 29th of April. And it goes on to the second week in May, I think. That's the Cartoon Museum in London. 
And we'd be fantastic if um, any of you, any of our listeners can go there and uh, support it and show how much they love Target books and the covers. And please feel free when we are there to come up and tell us what you think of the covers and join us for a cup of tea and a chat. And as I say, we're going to be there on that Friday. Yeah, if you recognise the... um if you recognise our voices, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have t-shirts or labels or anything yet, but perhaps you'll get some hats printed. Yeah, so. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, well, I tell you what, we'll we'll all wear um, something to do with Doctor Who about that. Yes, yeah, sir. yeah? Whether, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, wristbands. And, yeah. <laughs> so so please, <laughs> so please, if you can, go along to that and give support to that. But it's, it's very good, isn't it? It's very sort of... The green The green stands out, doesn't it? It does. The it green does. of the squid and it's sort of against Pertwee's slightly yellowing hair and yeah. Brigadier's almost sort of yellowy brown face, isn't it? But it all... It, it captures the tone of the story, I think. Oh, it's beautiful. Like, you've got the meteorites it, in it. It's a lovely cover. I know it's the Yes, you've seen it. And, um, yeah, so that's a great cover. I'm looking forward to seeing that one, I hope. And it's, in yeah, and it's entirety. One. Yeah, I mean... Andrew Skilleter and Alistair Pearson, just to update again, have been asking if any uh, listeners know if they can track down any original artwork. There's a few that are missing. They've not been able to um, find. Perhaps they've gone into the hands of well, private I'm collectors. There. Yeah, but the, um, the original ones, if anyone knows of any whereabouts of any, anybody who hasn't been contacted about the exhibition, if you could let them know. Um, I know Andrew Skilleter and Alistair Pearson are both on Twitter, so if you could let them know, that would be great. Thank you. Oh, that, that, that would be great. So we're looking forward to hopefully meeting some people there. And Yeah, it would be fantastic. And hopefully somebody That'd will yeah, somebody will know something and get in touch and find those missing yes. covers as well. Just have them all there. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? It would be fantastic. And inside the original uh, Target book as well are those lovely little line drawings, which I, I loved as well. Did did you do you like those, Alex? Yeah, they're, they're really nice detail artwork. Yeah. Mike, what did you think of them? Um, I've not had a chance to have a look, good look through the novel, really. Sort of sketch drawing of Pertwee at the door of the TARDIS. In Troutons. Uh, in Troutons. You can clearly make sh- make out his Troutons check trousers, can't you? And who's this? Is this supposed to be Sam Seely, is it? I think yeah, so, yeah. Sam Seely. Yeah. yeah, it's a lovely little... Uh, it's full of them, you know, some lovely ones of Scorby be, f- meeting his autumn replica, um, <laughs> Attack of the Autons. There's some great illustrations in there. Really, really nice. That fabulous scene where the Autons break out to the window, but this... Oh, yes, and yeah. smoking gun there from the, uh, the hand. Oh, yeah, smoking gun, broken glass... Fabulous, yeah. We, uh, that is real iconic Doctor Who, isn't it? It's nice that we've spoken about the Daleks before, how, how iconic they are. It's great we can have other iconic moments in Doctor Who from... Yeah. Could I, Could we also say, um, you know, we really encourage any of our listeners, if they can listen to the um, BBC audio versions of them, um, BBC really kind to us at the moment and they are actually giving us review copies we really appreciate that um, from them yeah thank and you very much to them yeah that's very kind of yeah, them most appreciated yeah and um, like I say yeah, please go out and buy them yeah. if you if you if you can and indeed the target books as well yes. you know they're great and there's also some exciting news going to be a little bit quiet on this but we may have a special guest at some point we can't say exactly when yet but we may have a very special guest joining us for uh, a podcast in the future, maybe round about May, we said, for a recording, Greg, perhaps. Round, round yeah. about May, we're hoping it's going to be, yes, yes. Can't say anything more at the moment, but... Uh, 
very exciting with Look it, forward to that. Yes, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be great. So, uh, yeah. Have we covered a lot now, Greg? Do you want to move on to scores? Or? Um, I just want to say, could I please mention something I loved in it, which is, again, his classic Doctor Who, when John Purby, sorry, when the Doctor <laughs> escapes from the hospital... Um, he's looking for the TARDIS and he's stolen the... Uh, is it a Rolls-Royce? A classic Rolls-Royce? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's, uh, but he's got the TARDIS locator, which is like... Uh, um, Terence Dix describes it as a single needle dial, a bit like a <laughs> compass. Yes. I, I love that. Did you read that, Ben Alex? Yes. And I, yeah, that's really clever. And we have this sort of genesis of Bessie there, don't we? Because at the end he says to the Brigadier, I want to keep this car... Oh, and Brigadier says you can't have it. He says, "Can I have one like it?" And that. Yeah, Do you that's know, obviously where we get Bessie from. There is so much in this. I forgot. Yeah, it's it's the first for Bessie as well, isn't it? There's, do we actually see Bessie in it? It's not actually the one he steals, but he says he wants one like it, doesn't what, he? He like, says, "Can you get me one like it, Brigadier?" Yeah, as you say, it's the genesis. Really. Yeah, it's the um... genesis of the Bessie. So <laughs> where the idea come from? Yeah, Definitely. well, let's do a so let let's go. So if I say, you know, we've got we, we've got. A post-traumatic regeneration crisis. Well, first of all, can I just say, yeah. first story in colour, colour oh, television. Wow, yes. That's the one then, as you said, post-regen crisis. Alex, what else is first in there? The first sort of the Brigadier and Unit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as the Brigadier and this in this story. Absolutely. The modern era. Come back to me again, Autons. Oh, first of the Autons, iconic. What else have we said about having... Is it? Is it having... Um, a very modern companion or had that been done before I wouldn't well you know I suppose someone like Barbara's very strong right in the beginning but she is. you had Susan then as well who was not as strong sort of put down to being younger I suppose and being yeah. in the doctor's care as a grandchild but yeah. um, Robert Holmes terrifying people yeah, I think that's a, that's the first. Robert Holmes in this did a hell of a lot better job than he did in the Crotons. Yes, yes, he he learned by then. Yeah, that, that's right. He Can learned. I also say was this was Barry Letts on board at this point, or was it a season later? I think he was. So is he, this this is this the first of the sort of political undertones within his stories? Because a lot of his stories later on looked towards environmentalism, didn't they? They took themes mm-hmm. of the day. You know, people become more aware of the environment and the damage we were doing it in the early seventies, and sort of power stations. And you have you have the setting of the factory, don't you, with the autons and the bureaucracy there. Yeah. And like the, the cover up, sort of the layers of government, and. Well, I, I think I think there is a slight discussion of the whole oil fuel debate in there. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I I think it is. I I think what happened was. Although Barry Letts on board, and actually I think he filmed this, didn't he? And did all all that, I think so. Because yeah. it was, um, who was the original, produ- who was the producer for this? This was... Ennis Lloyd, was it? No, no. no. Yeah, I think so. I, no, I, I think it was... Um, in between. He he got a job to produce a big American, I think, t- I, oh. sorry, an ITC TV series. Oh, what's his name? Not Lou Grade, no. Sorry, listeners. Um... If someone can let us know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear, what is At Who's on Target on Twitter. Uh, search for Doctor Who on Target Facebook page now. We've updated updated recently with a visit we made to the um, TARDIS set in Cardiff and the experience. We hope you enjoy some of those pictures. And we've added some. Alex couldn't join us that day, but we've added some in. that um, We've added a few to the page, which uh, I took of Alex on a previous visit back in 2014. So uh, have a look at those. Your overall thoughts, Alan, perhaps a score? or Really well written book and the actual TV episodes are great to shot and they look fantastic in the Blu-ray new edition because they spent a lot of time getting back to how they should be 
And I suppose score about a nine, I think. And Mr. Eccleston, is it? Yeah, can I just mention the Blu-ray as well? It's got a lovely... Uh, unfortunately, of course, Caroline Jean passed away a few years ago from illness. It's got a lovely documentary on the Blu-ray about her life and about the life of John Pertwee. There's one as well, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Two we... fantastic documentaries on that. Uh, Speed Ahead from Space Blu-ray, available oh, from BBC. Absolutely. And it's the, the price of it is fabulous, isn't it? It's only, yeah, it's only a picture quality as well. Yeah. Oh, it really... When I put I, that... I just wish they'd be more. Yes, yeah, I... But it's only it's only that and the um, apart from the new series, which has been HD from two thousand and ten. Plant of the day. They've been able to get it back. Yeah. The old refractive method. Most of the old um, TV show is filmed on video, which you can't actually make into HD with current technology. No. no. So it's only this one spearhead from space and the TV well, movie and can, some some inserts some inserts from back in the day. Sorry, Alex. Can you say that again? I'd say they can get it in the Blu-ray format, but it takes about two years because they have to do every scene by hand. Right, really? really? Oh, wow, yeah. wow. And well, we might get some of the makeup looking a bit uh, pink and dodgy, yeah, might we? <laughs> you know, sort of. Well, all I can say is when when I put it on in uh, on the Blu-ray, I got it as soon as it came out. I, I put it on my TV, and I I was really I gasped at how good the picture quality was. And the sound gets a big uplift as well. Did you notice that? Right? Yes. Yes. You get, yeah. The sound. Yeah, is, it's really nice. Oh, it is. It's a fabulous. I, like you both say, I wish they could do more like that. It was so beautifully filmed. You know the detail, and it's really got that atmosphere, isn't it? It's got the atmosphere. Absolutely. It's fabulous. Yeah. So thoroughly recommend that Blu-ray from uh, BBC Video and the. You, Audio book as well. That's available. Read by Caroline John. Read superbly. It is indeed. And who else recommends uh, this uh, story? If you get There's somebody on the front cover, not heard of him before, called R- R- Russell T. Davis. He's yeah. written something. Who's, who's he? Yeah. Heard of him, Mel? Uh. Yeah, he does an introduction for the 50th anniversary version, which they re-released. I think he talks generally in it about... Um, this was a book that he borrowed... And borrowed off his neighbour next door and never gave it back. And <gasps> what? apparently, this neighbour then uh, brought his own children to meet Russell when he was in charge to get an autograph, and he still couldn't admit to it then. So you know, we've all we've all got stories like that, I imagine. Yes, yeah. Apart, yeah. apart from all paragons of virtue here, and we'd never do anything like that. But, no, uh, it's, it's, a lo- <laughs> it's a lovely introduction from Russell T Davis. Greg, so. we wanted to give your score mate on the whole the formats, the uh, Blu-ray, the audiobook, the novelisation. I'm gonna get. I love. I love them all, and I'm gonna give nine out of ten. It's it's classic. It's brilliant. I yeah. love it. It took me straight back to as a child remembering what it was like reading this story, and also the beauty is. I was not disappointed when many years later I did actually finally see the actual TV version because uh, despite Terence's wonderful world-enveloping crises, (laughs) (laughs) uh, which we didn't see in the TV series, it was still done really well. For me, the TV show is superb. Brilliant paced, brilliantly directed, brilliantly acted. Mm. Blu-ray's just top quality transfer. Terence's words, wonderful. Caroline John's performance, brilliant. For me, it's Tenant. It's the perfect, it's 10. Oh, well, 10 yeah. out of 10 for me. Not, we haven't quite got to the yeah. three tens yet that we all gave Pyramids and Mars last year, but you never know, you know. We we do have quite a good one coming up next month, don't we? We'll mention it in a moment when yeah, we do. introduces it. Yeah. But, uh, Can I just say, though, I don't know if... Um, what's, what's our uh, Twitter account again? 
at who's on target no spaces just all one word w-h-o-s-o-n-t-a-r-g-e-t could somebody please tell me who the doctor in this reminds me of with that red line into his coat and that long dark coat and that modern I look. can't think who and anybody might be a friend of somebody <laughs> yeah, <he> reminds, <laughs> might have might, been a friend with somebody you know might have been his hero yeah reminds me of someone <laughs> Um, sorry, Mike. What were you going to say? Okay. Oh, that, that was it, mate. Just that a perfect it. ten for me. Really, just loved it. Loved it. Fabulous. Fabulous. At a recent event in Cardiff, Greg and Michael from the podcast team spoke to Prentice Hancock, who starred in Spearhead from Space, and a number of other stories with John Pertwee and Tom Baker as the Doctor. I started our short interview by asking Prentice what he noticed were the main differences in the acting styles between John Pertwee and Tom Baker. Tom was classical theatre, I suppose, like all of us. Uh, John was, his background, I mean, as far as I know, was a lot of radio stuff. Around the horn, there wasn't yeah, one of yes. these. You know, in the Navy, uh, Navy Line. Navy Line, yes. I mean, that sort of background he carried into his work. Stand up comic, if you like. Yes. In yeah. modern terms. Um, I mean, he was terribly helpful to me because he lived in Putney, quite close to where I lived. I kept on running into him all the time. And um, we did discuss where we were going this weekend for one of these. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I always feel I'm seeing your stories and watching because I vividly remember you from the stories. And you can watch them again. And they, it doesn't matter that it's confined to a small space in the studio because the quality of the acting is so that you can just watch it and you'll be absorbed. Whereas I find um, with the newer ones, the effects and all of that looks fantastic, but you can't really watch them over and over again, I, I feel. Well, that's um, modern television. I mean, it's happening all over. Yes. Film, theatre. Uh, I mean, I so. We chat over once a week, and I go to Qigong classes, and I meet an actor, an actress there who's the same age as me, you know, and we just discuss it. And she's just directed me to go and see at the Royal Court, Kika Mark and others, in a play by Carol Churchill. Now, yeah, she said it's so nice to watch people who can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah. I saw Macbeth about three weeks ago. I won't say too much about it, except that it was done with great verve and excitement and was quite good. But no one had told the director about soliloquies. Oh, no. You know what a soliloquy is? Yes, absolutely, yes. The audience overhears the actor thinking. Yes. A soliloquy. Yeah. No, these were played like front cloth acts, you know, yeah. talking to the audience. Yeah. And he didn't, <laughs> and he didn't made a nonsense of the play. Because oh, that's the thing that's revealed in his thoughts. Yeah. 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 What's going on? It's amazing. That's uh, modern theatre. Oh, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for that. It's lovely to okay. you so much. Take thank care. Um, unfortunately, Michael wasn't able to join us this week um, for, for our discussion on the autumn invasion. He had a few troubles with his Type 40 time capsule and we are, we're not quite sure where he ended up, but he's managed to contact us through the Vortex. So, Michael, are, are you there? I am here. I don't know what you're talking about when you say you don't know where I ended up. I don't know where I ended up, to be quite honest. Um, <laughs> uh, 
just one of those things that happens, you know, uh, some things just never go quite like how you want them to. Oh, but luckily you've managed to patch something up to to be able to send us yeah. your, your thoughts. Um, we had a really good discussion uh, about mm. it, Michael. Now, it's a good read. I think that's the best way. Because, I, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, Robert Holmes, he, he's the expert at this, he, you know. Yes. But bearing in mind, this was his, his, I think this was his third story. And it was certainly a marked improvement on the ones that came that, that were before this. It was the Space Pirates, which I've never been able to make my way through, to be quite honest. Yes. And the Crotons. And, and this is a marked improvement, certainly. But the problem I had with the novel is that as much as uh, Terence Stitch is a great writer, I don't think he captured the nuances of what Robert Holmes wrote. Considering there were two titles that you mentioned before that Robert Holmes mm. had written, they're hardly a prestigious start, are they, for for him? But but this one, like you say, it, it's it's a complete change, isn't it? Well, I think I think Robert Holmes, he was really good. I think his forte was gritty, gritty yeah. writing, real realistic writing. I don't think he really was ever comfortable with full-on science fiction, to be quite honest, if you if you look at some of his later stories. I mean, I think even, even Carnival of Monsters, even though it's science fiction, there is a grittiness to it. But I, I think the thing is with Spearhead from Space, I have to say of the two Orton uh, stories that he wrote, I much prefer two of the Autons. I think the problem might... If I have a problem with this story, it's very stark, it's very stripped back. Even more so with uh, this uh, novelisation by Terence Dix, because uh, I remember in the televised story there was a sprinkling of humour, and it seems to be missing from this story. I'm particularly thinking of the instance where um, John Pertwee's doctor, he, 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 he's looking in the mirror for the first time, and in the, in the TV serial he makes a note about, oh, this won't do, and then he starts to think, oh, I don't know, this looks quite distinguished, etc., that's not here in the story, in the book. Oh, that's interesting. We d- None of us pointed that out. Because that, that is a sort of defining moment for Pertwee as well, isn't it? Well, it, well, it is really. The other thing about um, the Auton invasion is this is a reboot for Unit. Because obviously obviously they were established in the invasion. And so we're getting a bit of a reboot here. And, uh, and again... This is, uh, if we're talking about how different uh, the Auton Invasion is from uh, Holmes' previous two stories, if you look at how relaxed Unit is in the Invasion and compare it to how they are in this story, again, there's a sharp contrast, I think. Yes, yeah. And, and I think that, will, and, and when we get to two of your Ons, that's another contrast. Because in that way, I mean, you're not going to have somebody from Unit going into uh, Unit headquarters in the Auton Invasion and make a cup of cocoa. It's, it's just not going to happen. Yes, it's a bit, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's very formal. Yes, it is very formal and secretive and... Um, yeah. It, it's quite, it's, it is more um, one of those... IT... Sorry, Michael, say it again. It's, it's grounded. Yes. Obviously, when you watch the TV serials, you get that sense the uniforms are very basic. It is, like I said, there's almost a documentary feel to it. And I think I think Terence Dix 
he has written a very serious adaptation of Robert Holmes' story. That's very interesting because I don't think um, we... One thing that we all mentioned, I don't know what you think of this, but it touches Mm. on what you were saying about how serious it was. We loved Chapter 10 where Terence Dix writes about the start of the actual Auton invasion, you know, Mm. when when the dummies come alive. And within just a few paragraphs, he creates a better vision of action and worldwide terror than was done even in Rose many years later. What, what do you, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I'm thinking of the chapter when they uh, they go to the cottage. Oh. Where, um, you know, the the, far, the the farmer, or the poacher rather, he, he's got one of the Auton um, spheres yeah. in the ship, hasn't he? He has. And, you know, unit turns up and there's a bit of a gun battle. It, it's much more, that is much more dynamic than the serial. And, and obviously, because you have no budget restraints in the book, you can flesh that out. And I also recall, even when they, even after they leave, when they're going back to London, I think, um, there's a conversation in, 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 in the transport. So <clears throat> I think what Terence Dix has done, he's, he's fleshed it out a bit. Right. He's filled in the gaps. Yeah, go on. No, no, I, I was just going to say, yeah, that's very interesting. It's um, because it's an is it an iconic story, a classic story? What would you say? This is one of those stories again. It's like when we talked about Jonathan Bain's in the verse. People remember the shotguns coming to life. Yes, I think people remember it for that. In some respects, even though I don't think it's a great novel. Yeah. I think, in some respects, it is an improvement over TV serial because, like I say, Terence Dixie fleshes it out. I mean, he adds in, even adds in a prologue, which I think is pretty unusual for Target novels. It's very nice, though, to have that prologue there. Do you like that? Yes, I do like it because um, Target novels they weren't really renowned for continuity because of the way they were released. Yeah. Like, you might have a bit of a fleeting reference to a previous story, but on the whole, they were treated to self-contained adventures. Yes, yeah. And yeah. in this one, you did a prologue, so I think that's a nice introduction to anyone who's never read it before. Yes, very, yes. So that's a nice touch. Uh, I love the illustrations. Oh, they're great illustrations, aren't they? Very good, yeah. Yeah. I, I love I love oh. the one of Scorby when he's meeting his, mm. uh, you know, that expression on his face. And, uh, yeah. oh, and also, there's a, quite an iconic one, isn't there, of... Um, the John, the third Doctor in Patrick Troughton's outfit at the TARDIS yes. door. That's do you like that one? That's a good. I do like that one, but I think my favourite image is it's near the end where the the nesting intelligence is breaking out of its tank. Oh yes, yes. And I, I think that's really dynamic, and it's, it's obviously going to be a lot better than seeing John Pertwee gurn <laughs> um, with a with a tentacle wrapped around his face. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And I think, but I think Terence Dixon has done a very good job. Yeah. And basically, because these Target novels, they had a page count. And, and there's only been a couple of exceptions where they exceeded that page count. I think he's done a good job of fleshing it out, adding material. I'm a bit disappointed that he removed the humour in it, because 
I think it just makes it that more stark. But other than that, yeah, I liked it. It's very good. And could I ask um, just to just to finish up? Did what what did you think of Caroline John's um, reading of the audio version? What I what I like about some of these audio books is that sometimes when you bring an actor in, they bring a performance to it. Yes. And I think that's what she's done here. I, I, I think sometimes, and I'm not going to name names, but sometimes when you bring people in to narrate a, uh, an audio book, um, it's just a reading. But I think Caroline John did a, a very good job of bringing some dramatic weight to it. Oh, very, very well said. I, I, we, we all felt that. We were pl- all pleasantly surprised that you said the word performance, and I think that's what she was doing. She did put a good bit of gusto yes. into it yes it was very enjoyable and just finally um what score would you give it overall out of 10 michael i'll give it a seven a seven right just so you yeah. know i gave it a nine um alex gave it a nine and mike in swansea gave it a 10 he absolutely okay. loved it yeah. i'm somewhat yeah. in the minority here, well but, th- um, that's what we want is the differences of opinion so I mean, you know, it's like a perfectly good read, but I, I just think this is, it could have been a lot better. Yes, yeah. I know you've mentioned a bit about the humour. I know exactly what you mean, actually. Mm. Yes, yeah, there, there is more humour in the uh, TV version, which is missing from this book. But uh, I, I think, to be honest with you, just very briefly, that is one of the things about season seven. It's right. Like, it's, it's, it's a very serious season. Yes, it's more like when... When you get to the following season, I mean, it's so relaxed. Like I say, you've got Captain Yates making a pack of perico in the doctor's lab. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. I think the the season seven, it's more like one of those ITC adventure type feels to it, would you say? I'm I'm thinking um, it was along the lines of Doomwatch. Oh, yes, yes. Which is probably... They were going for gritty realism and perhaps more fact. Yes, and that's probably the way which Derek Sherwin, the the original producer, well, the actual yeah. producer for that was was trying to push it, wasn't it? So well, it was so different from the preceding season, you know, the Troutons of our season. And I suppose you know, if you're gonna if we're gonna say, well, we've got a new Doctor and we've got to make things different, but I think perhaps they were in danger of alienating the core audience. Yes, yes. Well, it's something which rear its head many years later when we when they brought in uh, Big Meat. Oh, which is a tale for another day. Next time on Doctor Who on Target, we'll be discussing the talent of Wen Chang. TV episodes by Robert Holmes, novelisation by Terence Dick, and audiobook read by Christopher Benjamin. Doctor Who on Target Auton Invasion Review featured Greg James, Michael Winks, with Alexander Gibbons and Michael Harvey appearing via video call. Thank you to BBC Worldwide and Penguin Publishing for providing us with preview copies. Doctor Who theme music arrangement, originally written by Delia Derbyshire and Ron Greener. No copyright infringement intended. Opening arrangement by Smerin's Anti-Social Club. 
end credit arrangement by Bendy Keys Music. Doctor Who on Target Auton Invasion Review was recorded in Swansea, South Wales, Exeter, Devon and Thetford, Norfolk during April 2016.